Hi there, my name is Carrie Conover and I went from classroom teacher to ed tech leader to CEO in five years. I'm here to share the stories and wisdom of teachers who have successfully transitioned from the classroom to the boardroom. Let me help you let go of the guilt, start building your skills and create your own path to a new career outside of the classroom. Welcome to Classroom to Boardroom. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us for this career session with Taylor. Today, we're going to talk to Taylor Doherty, who now lives in California, but used to live here in Illinois, in Chicago. And I had the pleasure of working with Taylor at eSpark Learning. And I wanted to bring Taylor in for this special career interview series because she has such an amazing story. And I think we can learn a lot from Taylor about some of the risks she took in her career and how she went from being a teacher to a iOS engineer at Headspace. So Taylor, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. I'm excited. Taylor, so before we start talking about your amazing career, can we just like take a minute to talk about our time together at eSpark? I mean, of course, obviously. Yeah. So we (laughs) met at eSpark. I think I'd been there maybe a year and a half or two years, maybe a year and a half when you came. And you did you come in as an intern? I can't quite remember. Yes. Yes. I came in as an intern, the bottom of the barrel, just knowing nothing about anything (laughs) about the corporate world. (laughs) Did I treat you with respect? Or was I, oh, this is an intern. I'm going to step all over her. I can't remember. Oh my gosh. Obviously not. You know the answer to that. (laughs) I mean, no, you're like the perfect amount of, you know, you pushed me to, to be great, but in like such a supportive, empathetic way. I felt like you were kind of my mom, but like not in a creepy way. No, totally. Go to you for, you know, advice through that weird internship period where, I didn't know if I was going to get hired. Remember how stressful it was? I was just yes. like, am I doing okay? I don't even know what this job is. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you came in. Well, well, we should tell everyone. So first of all, you were a teacher. How long did you teach and what did you teach? So I taught for two years. I taught first grade in um, the south side of Chicago at a charter school called CICS Washington Park. Yes, which is really crazy because I did my student teaching at... CICS West Belden. Oh, right. Exactly. That was like a weird connection. And then you decided you wanted to go and work for an ed tech company and you ended up interning with like a big group of interns at eSpark, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you came in and I just took a special liking to you, but I did. I liked all the interns and I knew what that transition was like, right? To like be in the classroom and then go work for a company. And so you spent the summer working on customer success and helping us with professional development, all sorts of things, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And do you remember, I mean, we were kind of chatting about this earlier, but I feel like we need to share with the audience about how much fun we had together. Yeah, I mean, it was a weird thing because in the office it was it was slightly stressful for me because again, like coming from the teaching background and really not knowing anything about being in an office environment, I was I felt like I was, you know, competing with the interns to get hired and it was like always trying to prove myself. But then you and I would go on PDs and just be in the car for six, seven hours driving around the middle of nowhere, all around. Like yes. I don't even remember the place. Like uh, Ohio, just random Random places I had never heard of. 
and we were in the car for so long and we would just bump the music, have screaming sing-alongs and... I mean, that, that really got me through it, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we had this, speaking of me being a mom, <laughs> Taylor was there when we had this huge launch for this school district. We were going district-wide. It was a big, big deal for our company. And I was in charge of the whole thing. And so at one point, we took this caravan of, I think, three huge passenger vans. I think there were like a team of over 20 and I was in charge of everyone. And so we drove there and set up all these iPads and did all this tech stuff and then came back. And so we're telling this story because, you know, sometimes people are oh, going to work for a startup does sound kind of stressful or I don't really understand that world. And at the end of the day, I mean, it when you work at a startup, it's like family, almost you become family with people because you do fun road trips or you work and problem solve on hard problems together. So you get really close to the people you're working with. Yeah, I mean, you have to totally lean on everyone across all different functions of the company. And I mean, coming in as an intern for me, it was great because I didn't even... When I got hired at eSpark, I didn't even do the job that I was interning for. Remember, I totally switched to sales. So having that... like Coming into a startup, you really never know what you're going to get. And you can kind of find your your like niche by working so closely with other people and thinking like, Oh, I kind of want to do that. That looks cool. Or I, you know, you, you just are able to get that exposure where you might not get that at a larger company where you're kind of like siloed yeah. into a specific function. So yeah. it was, I mean, it was great for me because I had no experience, didn't know what the heck I wanted to do. And yeah. I got to see all these different people like working every day. Classroom to Boardroom 101 is talking about the difference between working for a school system and working for a company. And then I really break down the difference between working for a startup and working for more a more established company. And one of the things I talk about is what you just said. One of the perks of going to work for a startup is you might start in one department and end up totally in a different department. So tell us a little bit about, so you interned at eSpark in the customer success team, but ultimately at the end of that, you were recruited, I would say, uh, (laughs) for me, but um, broke my heart, but I understood. But you went to work for the sales team. So you got that customer success experience, and then you worked for the sales team. So can you talk a little bit about what you did in your job and and what that was all about? Yeah, sure. And and I guess I should say that joining the sales team was also kind of by chance. It was... I mean, it's a startup and and kind of the need for me at the time was to be on the sales team and not the team that I came in on because that you know we already had enough people doing certain things and it was like we really need to ramp up sales. So that was kind of a time where the sales team was hiring a ton of people. Yep. And I was, you know, okay, if yeah, really believing in the mission of the company and trying to get eSpark into as many classrooms as possible, I thought sales is cool. I can be the one convincing from a from a former teacher's ex- perspective being the one convincing superintendents, teachers, principals to adopt the product. So I thought it, you know, it was never something I thought I would do. I always was like, Oh my gosh, I can't do sales. Like I'm not yep. pushy enough. Yep. I, <laughs> I'm uncomfortable asking people for things. So yeah. Like, a lot okay. of people feel that way because all of a sudden you have to think about money and talk about money, which you never had to do in the past. Right. Just call someone up and try to convince them they need something that they've never heard of. And, you know, establish teachers who have it figured out in the classroom. You don't want to offend them by saying, no, you need this. Like you're not, you know, you're not able to meet all of your students at these levels. So, I mean, it was, it was a challenge for me. And I think a really, really good 
learning opportunity, just so many skills come from sales also and tons of skills that I could transfer from teaching, obviously like communication, like patience, persistence, like all these. When you're a teacher, you literally learn how to do everything. So you're just in a great spot. (laughs) When you're in that startup environment, if you have a good personality and you're positive and you're a hard worker and you have attention to details, companies will onboard you and and bring you on and teach you how to do the job, which is ultimately what happened to you at eSpark, right? And that has happened to me at every company I've ever been at my whole life. Even if I'm not maybe the be- like best technically or best like have all the prerequisites for the job, if I can convince someone that I'm willing to learn and and I have a prior record of learning really quickly and producing results, then you know, they take a leap and hire me and know that they can teach me and, and kind of trust that. So that's, yeah. I mean, that's literally the story of my whole life. So <laughs> I think that's one of the things I really loved about you and working with you. I mean, I don't think I ever really directly managed you, but you worked on a lot of the projects I was leading. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the things I all, well, first of all, the thing I loved about you most is just your energy and positivity. You were always we'll figure this out. Let's make this fun. But you also did, you were able to, to learn things fast. And from my perspective of working with you, the reason you were able to do that is because you're a really, really good listener. You did not come in as a know-it-all. You didn't come in saying, I'm smart. I know everything. You came in, teach me, teach me once really well, and I'll learn it. And I think that's a skill that you probably take for granted about yourself. You know, it's funny, actually, this is one of my biggest pieces of advice for any person ever starting a new job, regardless of what it is or what your experience level is. I call it coming in hot. (laughs) You know, when someone just comes into a new job and is bam, 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 I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. This is how it should go without kind of feeling out the climate of the company and your team. Exactly what you said, listening to what kind of the state of the union is. Yes. People don't hire you to come in and transform the whole company. Usually you can, you can be hired for something where you have very lofty goals and you have a huge project, but a big part of fitting into a company's culture is coming in and kind of laying low a little bit for at least the first few weeks and learning, learning how people work together and, you know, speak up at meetings, but, but maybe like, maybe sit back a little bit. I think that that has served me well in every job I've ever started. You gain people's trust and respect later on when you're able to then contribute with all of that knowledge of how the company works and what you've been observing so far. You're able to say, okay, you know, I've seen this over a few weeks. This is what we did at my last company. I think that here's a place where I see a room for improvement kind of thing. I could not agree with you more. I mean, I think that goes for if you're getting your first teaching job to any job. I mean... I remember when I came into eSpark, there was a very established culture and kind of, you know, circle of people that were tight. And instead of trying to bulldoze through that, I had this mantra for my first six months of being a stealth bomber, which I didn't even, like someone gave me that analogy. And I always use that. It's you're kind of laying low under, well, a stealth bomber isn't laying low, but they're just kind of there. No one's really paying attention, but you're absorbing that's the time to ask all the questions. Is it because you don't want to hold those questions in in a year be asking those questions because people are going to be like, uh, you've been here a year. But in the (laughs) ask all the questions, be super observant. But I totally agree. If you come in trying to tell 
people what changes need to be made right away, you're going to turn a lot of people off and probably make quite a few missteps. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's talk about, so you were at eSpark, you went into sales and then where'd you go from there that now you're an iOS engineer? How did you make that leap? <laughs> so weird, right? Like how oh, am I cool. here? I don't even know. So cool. <laughs> It's so cool. I'm so proud. But okay, so selling, selling, meeting with superintendents, kind of those personality traits that I mentioned before about not I'm not a salesperson at heart. Like, let's be honest, I I could do the job. And I I, I did an okay job. I don't think I was bad. But I at the end of the day, I didn't feel that my best skills were being utilized in that role. Like I just kind of it left me a little bit unfulfilled felt like I wasn't using my brain in a way that I was used to. Yeah, we didn't even cover this. But in college, I was actually pre-med. Yeah, I which forgot is to bring that up. So random. I think that is so important, though. Yeah. And it's like, I I had this background of being super science like techie, uh, and really using my brain to solve problems independently. And I got a lot of satisfaction from being given a task, like using my brain to f- solve that problem and kind of checking that task off. And those are, that's something that never happened in sales for me. Like you're using such different skills, important skills, and it's a really hard job. I'm absolutely not knocking it, but it wasn't what I was good at or what I really cared to be good at, I guess, if that makes sense. And it goes back to what you were saying. You, you were good at the job, but it wasn't, you're, you were like, I wasn't bad. I mean, you were good at the job, but I feel like maybe there was something that was tugging to you. Like, okay, I don't see myself being like a VP of sales one day. Totally. And I just, I really value like the independent thought process of, of being given a problem and sitting with it by myself. Like in kind, kind of what it, it's so funny. Cause I obviously started teaching and you're in front of people all day long. And then I'm in sales and I'm in front of people all day long, talking to strangers all day long. And, and I'm actually an introvert. Like, I think I, I learned to be a little more extroverted, but those jobs just exhausted me. Like I learned that to, to really have to, to have a sustainable career, I have to kind of find a job that matches my personality yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. So being introverted, like I'm saying, like I, I love sitting down, tackling a problem alone. And like, there's nothing better than for that than engineering and, <laughs> yes. and coding and like putting my headphones on and just being by myself and working and being able to solve like frustrating being frustrated and struggling with something and then finally solving it is like the best feeling for me. And now I'm finally kind of getting that the frustrations that I had in sales were like, I can't convince this person to buy this. And I don't really care that much. Like I didn't have that piece where I care to get better at it. And I think that's where you have to realize like, this is not for me. If it's not something that you continually get excited about improving and learning and, and, and going up the ladder that's where you have to say, "Mm, this is probably not what I meant to do. Yeah. And it's really interesting. I think part of, you know, many people listening to this or maybe trying to think about a career change or maybe transitioning from teaching to another career. One of my biggest pieces of advice is always study yourself and really understand yourself. And I think you brought up a really interesting point about being an introvert. And you and I are, I think, similar in some ways that I actually am an introverted extrovert. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but I am probably one of the most outgoing people you could ever meet in your life. Like I will talk to anyone, but at the end of the day, when I love being by myself when I'm working and working through a problem. Now, I think that I'm bringing this up because you are also actually 
quite outgoing and chipper and and talkative. I think it's important that you know how people interpret you, but that you actually really understand yourself and what gives you energy and happiness. Like, don't let other people say, oh, you're this outgoing person who everybody loves. You should be in sales. Like, if that's not going to bring you happiness, don't listen to everybody else. No, and and like... I present as someone who's extroverted because that's a learned behavior over time. I wanted, I didn't like being shy. So over to like, I kind of forced myself to adopt behaviors and habits that kind of made me seem like an extrovert. But at the end of the day, when you go home and you're so drained, like that's when you realize, okay, if something is this draining, like it's not my natural state of being. So, so that's kind of how I took away from it. And, and I mean, you don't really know, you learn a lot about yourself through trying different careers, yes. I think. Like Yes, yes, you, yes. I I think I always say that I'm you know, I don't have kids, as you know, but when I do have kids, I'm gonna really instill that in this them in them this idea that like you, it's okay to not know what you wanna do with your life. It you're don't be waiting for this aha moment, like this is what I'm meant to do, or you know, like something that was told to me when I was younger was find your passion and you'll never work a day in your life. People get so bogged down. And is this my passion? Is what's my life passion? It it puts so much pressure that you're not, it it doesn't open up you you enough to kind of figure out, just try different things and say, Oh, I'm not passionate about this. That's fine. It's not, it doesn't mean I'm a quitter. If I stop this and and pivot, it just means that I haven't found it yet. And you're not going to, you're likely not going to find your passion before you're 18 going to college. No. I think people should take their time and experience lots of different things. And when you and I were talking on the phone the other day, we were talking about how even me being, you know, I'm quite a bit older than you, but I've had, I was, I worked for a nonprofit. I was a teacher. I worked for a startup. I worked for a big corporation. Every single one of those things is what is allowing me to be a successful entrepreneur right now. And you were saying the same thing about, um, and this can kind of move us forward of how you got into becoming a developer, but those all these different experiences are what are making you an outstanding employee at Headspace. Yeah. I mean, I think it sets me apart from other people. And and this is kind of why I was a little hesitant to even make the leap in the first place because I just felt so behind. Like, I felt like people who are engineers... I, I had this when I was younger. Like, I never even considered engineering because, number one, never seen a female engineer in my life when I was little. Yeah. And... Number two, like my, my idea of an engineer was just some like really crazily smart guy in a corner in a dark room, like pounding on the keyboard with headphones on. And it just was so, it wasn't accessible to me. Like I didn't think that was a job I could ever do. So kind of thinking about it, just, I was like, ugh, like I'm so behind these people studied in college and they have just miles of experience ahead of me. But, but what I didn't realize was actually like, I do the the experience that I do have puts me kind of at an equal playing field when you consider like all of the skills that those people haven't developed. Yes. If they've been only doing that one thing their whole life and that's all they've been focused on. So like communication is something that a lot of engineers struggle with and just like conveying their point in a respectful way and, you know, get like getting their point across. And it's, it's to me, it's mind boggling. Like, how did you not, learn how to do that. And this is not at Headspace, by the way, this is just in In general. general. Yes. But it's, you know, thinking like, I I didn't give myself enough credit for all the skills that I had built through these various careers. And I was a little too hard on myself. And and luckily, I made the leap anyway. But 
I can see that being something that would prevent someone from totally making a switch. So you yeah. like, don't discount the experiences you have because they're always going to be valuable well, to in thinking about a teacher who's really probably a teacher and educator listening to this right now that we're talking to, I hear all the time from educators, well, I've been teaching for like 12 years. I should, I'm just going to stick it out. You know, I have my pension, blah, blah, blah. You know, like there's always an excuse of why not to make the leap. And a lot of times it's like, well, I don't really have the skills to, to transfer into working for a company. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But before we go there, let's talk about, so then you went, how did you learn how to code from being a salesperson? So I just did a boot camp. I did a coding boot camp called Dev Boot Camp in Chicago. It's unfortunately went bankrupt. So don't go looking for it. <laughs> but, but it was something that I think a couple eSpark employees had actually done. And I, I saw it as this way to just kind of kickstart my foray into into uh, coding. And, and luckily, I mean, someone had thought of this idea that we don't have enough engineers. A lot of people might have an interest in learning how to become an engineer because they kind of missed the boat in college, maybe didn't know enough about it. And so these boot camps were created. And there are a lot of resources, I think, to learn how to code. But for me, I knew I needed to completely focus on it. Like I couldn't just kind of learn yeah. it on the side. Yeah. I needed someone to tell me what I needed to do to focus on it and just like study it and totally be in that world for me to even attempt to pick it up. And the reality is even after that 18 week kind of immersive course, you, I still barely knew anything. You know, it's like, you can't go from zero to, to I don't even know what the phrase is, zero to 60, zero to hundred. Yeah, I don't know. know. <laughs> I'll take either one, Taylor. You can, <laughs> I don't know what the phrase is, but I think it's zero to 60. I yeah, because it's like a car yeah. analogy, right? I don't know. Back when Whatever. drove 60 miles an hour on the freeway. Right. That's what I was saying. Like 60 is nothing. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like you would want to go to 60. But anyway. Yeah. But we anyway. get your point. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> My point is, I luckily had a healthy idea of what going to a boot camp was. I think some people go in thinking, all right, I'm going to come out a full-fledged engineer. I'm going to make a six-figure salary and like, and then my life begins. But in reality, you barely have enough introductory knowledge to get an internship, I think. And which is fine, which is fine, because I was I was prepared to do another career shift and start as an intern yet again. <laughs> <laughs> at like the age of what was I at the time 26. But, but yeah, so I did the coding bootcamp. And then I just, you know, knowing nothing and knowing that it was going to be hard to get a job, I just really leaned on my network and connections and just ask people to chat for a little bit just to like get advice and kind of try to network and find a place for myself. And I made it really clear I was open to any opportunities, internship, paid, unpaid. Like I was like, I just need to learn. I need to get exposure and experience in this field and just need someone to take a chance on me. Yeah. And luckily, I did get someone to take a chance on me at Disney. And I worked on an app called Movies Anywhere right when around when it was starting. So again, I kind of was in a startup environment. It's crazy. Like I've basically worked at start even though Disney's a huge company, yeah. this this app within Disney was a brand new project with a tiny, tiny team that then grew probably tenfold by the time I left. Wow, that's um, crazy. That's really cool. And that's I mean that's a really interesting point because I worked at Discovery Education which is part of the Discovery Channel, so another huge company. But we were almost like a startup environment within a large company. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's exactly what we yeah. were. So you were saying that you got someone to take a chance on you. And it just reminds me that and we could do a whole other podcast or a whole other interview about this. But the importance of learning how to network and and talk to people and have conversations with people is so, so important. Yeah, I mean, I know this is like the worst advice because no one wants to hear that they have to network more because it sounds so scary. Um, but when I say network, I'm not talking about going to like a networking mixer and going yeah. up to people yeah. being like, hi, I'm Taylor. Like, here's my elevator pitch about myself. <laughs> um, it's it's more of... And, and LinkedIn is, I think, a really good resource for this nowadays. If you do really purposeful searches and people now do this to me actually I get reached I get reached out to all the time by people considering a switch to coding and if you do a purposeful keyword search like intern coding boot camp Disney or like the company you want to work for or an industry you want to work for like healthcare or something and you find people come up and and you know what like it doesn't hurt if they don't respond whatever yes. it's fine but if you send them a quick thing like hey I saw your background. I'm looking to do this. Do you have 15 minutes to chat on the phone or maybe answer a few questions via email? Usually, I would say phone is the is better yeah, because sure. whenever whenever people have sent me questions on like via email and they send me 10 questions, I'm like, oh gosh, when am I going to get to this? Like, yes. I really want to help you, but I don't have time to like sit down and type out a novel for you. And especially, I mean, the point is to make the personal connection. Yeah. It's not, it's not really to get advice. Like right. that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of how you kind of play to their ego a little bit, but it's really to make a personal connection. So that person wants to stick their neck out for you yes. and, and connect you with someone else or create an opportunity for you where they currently are. 100%. I now get emails of someone introducing someone to me every other day. Yeah. <laughs> if you get that 15 minute phone call with someone, be prepared for it. I can't tell you how many times I get on the phone with people. And sometimes it feels like they're turning it like I'm, they're doing me a favor. Like I've had so many phone calls where I'm like, wow, you know, like, and I have a lot of connections, right? But when you come to the phone call, you need to be ready. Like research who I am, know where I worked, know what I'm doing right now. And, you know, you can say that up front. Hey, I did some background research. I know you worked here, here, and here. I have three main questions for you and would love to get your advice. Like be prepared for the phone call. Exactly. And, and show them you value their time by really pointing out, you know, places where maybe your paths are aligned or something that they've done that you think is really inspiring and you, you know, hope to do and, and make it clear from the beginning. I have these three questions for you and make, make, make it clear that, you know, it's 15 minutes and you're going to stop at the 15 minutes yeah. and that you value their time. Cause I've had, I've been on the phone and, and I really like doing these kind of calls. Whenever I get someone reaching out to me on LinkedIn, especially about the career path of going into engineering from a non-traditional background, I'm excited because I want to pay it forward. So many people helped me and I really want to be that kind of like white knight for someone else. But if, if I'm on the phone with you and we've agreed to 15 minutes and, and you keep asking questions, like, I'll be like, okay, any more questions? Kind of trying to wrap it up and it keeps going. You know, it's a little off-putting. It kind of shows that you're, you're not really respecting the time that they've given you. Yeah. So just treat, I mean, any kind of networking call, it's kind of like an interview. Treat it like you are trying to impress that person. Like I said, like you're, you're not really 
trying to get their advice. Their advice might help, but you're really trying to show your personality that you'd be a great person to work with or, or work for. And, you know, that's really the part, like you're selling yourself yeah. basically. And I think it's like, don't be walking down the street in ta- having this phone call where the wind's blowing in your earphone and you're like, oh my like be sit down, be focused. And the other thing I think too, Taylor, I'm sure you would agree with me on this is at the end of the 15 minutes, if you have an ask for them, so maybe your ask is, wow, I really loved, you know, Taylor, that you were telling me about this internship at Disney. And I, I know you mentioned there is an intern board. Would you be willing to send me that or make an introduction? And then you say yes. As the person calling for advice, it's your job to send an email to them after with the ask and giving them anything they could use. So a lot of times people will be like, oh, will you introduce this person to me? And I'll say, I would love to, but I need you to write the email for me and send it to me. And then I'll send that off. Don't make the person do any work after the phone call. Couldn't agree more. Like you need to make it as easy as possible for that person to do what you want them to do. You need to have your resume and honestly have these things ready before the phone call so that when the phone call ends, if your ask is, Hey, can you refer me to your company? Um, I, there's this specific position I'm interested in and I have my cover letter and uh, resume ready. And I would love to forward that along to you right after this call. So you can, so you can recommend me for that position if you're comfortable and just ask, like, be bold. I know it's awkward and uncomfortable, but this is how, if, if you've built a good rapport with the person over this time, they'll do it. I do it. I have people that I don't know that are complete strangers that at the end of talking to them for 15 minutes, I'll refer them for a job because I'll, I'll see enough parallels. Yep. That it's and it it costs them nothing. I mean, people aren't going to be referring every single person they talk to if they really don't see a match because then it makes their referrals a little less meaningful. Yeah, exactly. So you do want to prove yourself. Like I said, you're selling yourself. Energy and a positive attitude will get you so far on the phone. And people tend to shell up or retract their personality on the phone because they're trying to be respectful. And you need to be memorable. You're not over the top, but you can't be a boring, dry person. You're not going to be memorable. No, no. Yeah, just infuse your personality wherever you can. You you see an opportunity. And even at interviews, kind of along with that that being prepared thing, find opportunity, you know, you, you've done your research, you know, the mission of the company, the job description, and you've already kind of thought about ways that you can do each of those things. So just like infuse that into all of your answers, like have a couple bullet points that you want to make sure you hit on and, and just weave them in like in a natural way, but, but make sure you hit them. Cause in reality, an interviewer isn't going to ask you like, why are you good for this job? Like you have to, it's your job to weave that into every single answer of like why you are, why you're great. And like why for these reasons, you're going to be able to fulfill that, you know, the job responsibilities. And also, I mean, people are listening to this after I've published this, but I, I am doing a series on interviewing and like phone screens and how you can take information from phone screens and bring that into your interview. So I'll share out some of those tips and tricks and I'll get some of that insight from Taylor too. So I can make sure I weave that info in there, but to kind of wrap us up for today, Taylor, I want to ask you two questions. One, if you were giving a teacher or educator advice, like you'd give them one piece of advice about transitioning from the classroom into another career, what would that be? And the second one is, 
I want you to give me three skills that you learned while teaching and in the classroom that you think has transferred well into your current career and where you are now. So starting first with what is your one biggest piece of advice that you would give? Okay. Oh my gosh. I feel like I've given so many pieces of advice throughout here. I don't want to repeat myself. It's just that idea of knowing yourself and just thinking about what excites you. And and it doesn't, like I said before, it doesn't have to be your life passion. To be honest, my life passion is not to code every day, like to, to physically code. That's not my passion. My passion is, you know, working on something that is bettering society or like helping people in some kind of way. But to, to do that, I know I can contribute by being an engineer yeah. and working on the Headspace app. And within my day to day, I'm able to have those moments of feeling fulfilled by having problems, solving them and like checking that task off and moving on and feeling accomplished. And that's just something I've learned about myself through these different careers that I know drives me and that I you don't get in every job. It, and, and this comes, unfortunately, like you might not know these things about yourself until you do a job you really hate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. And and every every job you do like kind of molds you into this like multifaceted creature, chameleon, where you can really like utilize everything you've learned, even if it has if you think it has nothing to do with your current job, there's a way that it's gonna apply, which I guess segues perfectly into my three yeah your three tips so when you were in the classroom when you were that naive person you didn't know anything about the business world like thinking about skills you learned them and i and i guess just to frame this to help teachers that are listening right now how they could trans the reason i asked taylor this question is for her to point out things that she could talk about in an interview when she didn't have that business experience yet right totally well, you know, I, I don't know if this, my first one, I don't know if you would necessarily say exactly in an interview, but what I tell people and especially teachers, you have built this, the, this toughness, this thick skin that not everyone in the corporate world has at all. People freak. I think about my two years at teaching being the hardest years of my work, of my career. Hands down, I know I'll never do something as emotionally like physically, mentally taxing every single day. And and just that thick skin like kind of gives me a perspective when I'm going into my job every day that gives me this kind of calm, whereas people, other people may fly off the handle at, at little things going wrong. Yes. But when you have that perspective, it's it's such an asset because you're this, you know, this like rational force on your team. And you just, you're, you're kind of like the mom, like I said, you're the mom, my mom at that company. <laughs> like you're just like the mom like you're you're so much more tuned in to what's going on around you because you're used to taking in all those cues and and monitoring and and managing a classroom where you're you know you're not you're not like only thinking about yourself all the time you're thinking yeah. about the well-being of the company and I just think if you're if you've been a teacher you really can do anything it sounds so cheesy but it's so hard. It's such a hard job. I could never go back to doing it because it's so hard. <laughs> so oh, yeah, and, and knowing you, that you you have that experience and yeah. like you are tough and you can get through it. And I mean, that is something that you can totally sell in an interview. Totally. You might not know this, but teaching has so many moving parts and kind of explaining all the things you need to coordinate in a day that people, and prioritize. people have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. I love that. That's great advice. I love that. Okay. 
So having thick skin, what else? What are your other two things? My my second one is like communication. Like I said this before a little bit, but being able to effectively get your point across without being rude, talking over people or being disrespectful in any way is is a skill, shockingly. It's really shocking that I have to say that, but <laughs> People don't have that. It's I, I. I remember the first time I saw it in the working world, and I was just, how do you guys not know how to speak to each other? You're never going to get someone to do something for you if you're rude to them, or have them back up your idea or your project if you're rude to them. I'm like, right. everything is about building relationships and and just like caring about people and listen. I mean, listening, listening kind of goes hand in hand with the communication aspect, like you have that patience and that listening and ability to take in information and communicate it out properly. I mean, people don't have that. And, and also public speaking. I mean, that kind of goes with that too, like yeah. presenting and public speaking and just a yeah. lot of people that, that makes them really nervous. And I guess public speaking, you know, in the corporate world is a little different than teaching in front of, you know, 36 year olds. Um, <laughs> yes. But a lot of the same skills. For yeah. Sure. yeah, for sure. And that makes you like being able to communicate makes you seem so much more competent. Like it's kind of like the fake it till you make it. Like if you're able to to talk intelligently and you know what you're doing, like pe- you're you're perceived as way more confident or competent and confident. I guess. Yes, yeah, both. Yeah, I love it. My last one. I already kind of like I've been kind of weaving all these in, but my last one is just like kind of what I was saying about the the thick skin and paying attention. You're so used to paying attention to the needs of others. So you kind of take on this like facilitator role within a team that is really important. Like you'll go through stressful moments with a team and you're, you're going to be more tuned into the emotions and like, and kind of the vibe of your team. And you, you know how to like turn that around in the classroom when that happens, you know how to like, okay, let's take a break. Okay. You know, time for a joke here. <laughs> like, you know how to, you're, you're such an invaluable asset to your team because again, you're not thinking about yourself all the time. Like you're thinking about the, the, the betterment of like a whole classroom and bringing that and just bringing empathy into working with others is something that people really don't think about. It's really these soft skills. Like notice that I haven't mentioned anything technical, which is those are the skills that are listed obviously as prerequisites on job applications. But these soft skills are really what make you a good employee and make your manager love you and want to keep you and promote yep. you. Yep. You know, like it's not the technical stuff that, that, that can be learned, that can be taught and people interviewers know that. So if you're able to convey that you have these things and like you will be an invaluable asset on a team, you just have to learn a little bit more yep. then people will stick their neck out for you. I totally agree. And I want to wrap up by saying this. I I have a friend who says to me, I feel like you know everyone or you know someone who knows everyone. And (laughs) it's it's actually a coaching client of mine that said this. And I was laughing with her and I'm like, listen, I have been working now for, well, I started my first job at 15 years old, but like in the professional world, I've been working almost 20 years now. And I believe your relationships with your coworkers are the number one thing that you develop at a job. And you have to get to know people and get to know them as real human beings, not as the director of blah, blah, blah. And I mean, if you think about it, Taylor, you and I haven't spoke on the phone or, you know, in a few years. 
Yeah. The second we got on the phone the other day, it was like we had never stopped talking or seeing each other. And it's because (laughs) both of us made an effort when we were working together. And I technically was your superior, quote unquote. I'm making funny quotes right now. But like, (laughs) you you didn't let that keep you from asking about my kids. And you didn't keep that from asking about what I was doing in the weekend or how, you know, my brother was when he was, you know, like you were, you got to know me personally. And I also got to know you personally. And so when you form those relationships in five years, if you call me again, and I want a job at this company, and I know, you know, the founder, you know, I'm going to personally make a phone call for you. (laughs) So I'm rambling here a little bit. This, what I just, I cannot stress to people enough is build the relationships where you are at because they will circle around. Yeah. And, and someone, yeah, exactly what you said. Like someone always knows someone who knows someone. Yep. And, you know, keep those people on LinkedIn. You can see your, you know, second and third connections and just, and just reach out. People, it doesn't annoy. I don't think it annoys people. I think the number one reason why people might not respond or, you know, really help you is because they're busy and they forget. Like yeah. that's really the honest truth. So yep. if they don't respond, whatever, on to the next, or who maybe cares? try, try one more time, you know, it's not, it's not a rejection. It's like, it's just people are busy. And I think generally people want to help and everyone has had a moment in their career where they've needed help from someone and they want to pay it forward. Generally, if you're a good person, <laughs> yeah, be a good person. Number one lesson, just be a good person. <laughs> the day. Work hard and be a good person. I mean, if you're a teacher, like you have to be such a good person to stick it out. Yeah. Don't you think? I mean, I'm going to say I've met a few teachers <laughs> in my 20 years that I don't know I would call necessarily a good person, but I would say 99.9999% of them are. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I don't think I was a good enough person to, that's why I couldn't keep doing it. Like you that have to like, not true. Oprah, no, I'm, I'm a fine person. I'm a fine person. But like you, you are a true saint if you're a teacher. I agree. Like, I agree. Absolutely. So Taylor, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, of course. It was so fun. It's just like old times sitting in the car chatting. I feel like um, we should be like playing some music <laughs> dancing right now, but I wasn't prepared for that. So next time we do it, we'll, we'll yeah, have next time. Awesome. Yeah. For All sure. right, Taylor, take care and thank you so much. Of course. Bye, Carrie. Once again, if you are interested in our podcast, make sure you subscribe so that you get notifications when new podcast episodes are released. To you joining me each week for Classroom to Boardroom, welcome to this new podcast. Until next time, my friends, take care. <laughs>